Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deer Society Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by JJ Ducart and Brian Clary. And late season tactics. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see on the table, there's a big buck sitting here. We talked last podcast about a buck that JJ was going to be going over to hunt in Wisconsin and talked about some strategy and some chances. And lo and behold, fast forward to here we are, buck is on the table, uh, a buck that that you call Longhorn. Um, so we're going to hear that story, hear how that all went down here, the strategy, talk about some continuing late season strategies here, and might even get into some talk about second rut and that kind of uh, a second breeding season, whether there is one, isn't one what you should do to kind of take advantage of that or not. So uh, let's first talk about this buck, Longhorn. Longhorn. Yeah, so got the buck. I was after in Wisconsin. Actually kind of a surprise. Buck showed up December of this year. Um, I only had one year of history with him last year. Showed up, got some video, stayed for late season, and then when the snow got too deep, he just moved off because we don't have the best food sources there once the snow is deep. So just had that one-year history. Um, obviously shot Andre last year, so couldn't hunt this buck or pursue him. Just got some videos and kind of kept kept tabs of him for a while. And then this year, it was kind of waiting on on Longhorn. It's He's a really wide buck. I think he's like 22 inches wide here on this rack. Um, last year, he had kind of a mainframe 10 with a little split brow this year, he's he's a mainframe eight with double splits, so a little bit different. I would say probably the same size. Um, some some ways it looks smaller, some ways he maybe added some mass, but kind of in that same ballpark, just real wide. Um, when we saw him last year, first thing that came to mind was he doesn't have much tie in length, but just these big long beams going out, so it kind of reminded me of a, a Longhorn, Texas Longhorn, but maybe we'll call him the Wisconsin Longhorn. I don't know if they have those there. So yeah, Longhorn is, it's kind of a cheesy name, but <laughs> um, that's kind of what I was calling him. So he showed up in December, December 3rd, I think it was, and I was just glassing some fields, kind of fixing some binoculars actually, and saw this buck out there limping around, had big bald spots on his back. All the fur was gone on both sides. Um, last year he had a limp on his back left leg. I thought he died over the winter or um, someone, someone else shot him or something. Then he came back this year, he had not only that back left leg looked a little sore, but the front left leg now was was badly injured. I think it's the shoulder. The shoulder looked really goofy. Um, so just limping around really slow. Basically came back to the property I hunt for the food. Um, he was in a primetime brassica plot, and then I left a little bit of standing beans. Uh, the farmer left a little bit up for us. So, you know, we had that food source. We don't have a lot of snow this year. He basically looks really injured, thin, week um basically came back for the food so i knew once that once he showed up it was kind of game on um popped up a novix you know changed some reveal placement used all that intel kind of just kept eyes on him um and he wasn't moving far so basically he was injured you know actually when i field dressed him he was 135 pounds um on the scale so not a good situation for a buck like this um heading in the winter but you could tell he's just trying to keep that food that protein, that nutrition coming in. So he was eating the brassica plot really pretty much every night. He'd sit sitting there for an hour and a half just eating. Um, he really liked those beans too. So he was just staying tight, bedding in the swamp, coming out at night. And I just, uh, yeah, put some good sits on him with some some questionable winds, uh, playing the phase, you know, using the phase as much as I could. It, we just kept getting those south winds. It was just south wind after south wind after south wind, which was not ideal to hunt this buck on that plot. So just doing my best not to get busted um, and then tried to make a couple trips up to Wisconsin. It's a two-hour drive, so I can't just hunt there any night I want to. So made a couple trips, and um, yeah, he came in that night, December 15th. Unfortunately, he sat in the other side of the plot for 15 minutes and didn't want to move. Um, so I couldn't film him for a long time, and he, he gave me a shot right at last light as he slowly made his way in um, in front of me where all the does were. So. Put a good shot at him. Shot the new prime RVX as the first first blood that the the bow drew, and he docked a little bit. Still, I'm I'm still not sure what happened on the shot. It was a, a good location. He ducked a little bit, so it, it ended up spining him. I don't know if he if 
be twisted or spun while he dropped, but you know, a lot of blood and obviously didn't go far. So put another arrow on him and it was over quick. That is Longhorn. So I think he's, I think he's five. Just, I thought he was four last year, but it's hard to know when you got one year, you know, maybe he was three, but I just keep looking at that video mm -hmm. and the character. It just seemed like a four-year-old buck, but um, regardless, it was the buck I was after. He didn't grow much, so that was, but it's just in, interesting and kind of close story. So the, the number one buck I was waiting for came back, but just not not in the way that you would think. So, Well, first off, congratulations. That's a, a sweet buck. I mean, he's got long beams. He's got some cool character on the outside of his beams, super wide, and those split brow tines are cool. And, you know, he's got pretty good mass. He carries through there too. So beautiful buck. Congratulations. Uh, I want to jump back. So you said you got a year history with him. He showed up last year. When did he show up last year? I thought he showed up on the 13th of November, but it was early. It was like the first week of November. Um, but because he showed up on non-cell cam. So in my mind, it was like he was on the 13th, but I was looking back last week and found some non-cell either video him, you know, a couple days before that. So I was expecting him, him to show up basically in November. So all of November, I was waiting, you know, watching cameras. I was hunting in there a little bit up in Wisconsin and um, just waiting on the buck and Nothing ever showed. No shooters this year until December. Gotcha. So this deer shows up last year, kind of disappears again, shows back up late season now, um, and you're able to harvest them. I think that, you know, it's interesting to see that because we talk about that so often. These deer, especially mature bucks, will tend to do the same thing year after year after year. You know, what was it like for you waiting throughout the whole year? I know you said you thought maybe he was dead. Did you have confidence that if he was still alive, that he was going to show up again towards that later part of the year? I lost confidence if when he didn't show up throughout November. Um, just It just seemed odd that it would be a month later than it was the previous year or more. Um, <clears throat> obviously, it made sense when I saw him limping around. Obviously, he got hurt somewhere. Um, maybe he ruts somewhere else. His rut range, home range, whatever you want to call it, is somewhere else. And then basically he just remembered, oh, there's good food at this property. I'm going to head back that way, you know, maybe where he was hanging out, didn't have, you know, maybe it's just a big timber or swamp or something. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, you know, in the back of his mind, he's like, I got to get back to that food source um, over at property X. Yeah. So my next question is, you know, we talk about late season being, you know, can be one of the best times a year to hunt. We talk about the importance of food the importance of cold weather, maybe some snow, especially here in the upper Midwest. This year, you know, we're, we're into late season. I mean, there's only a couple weeks of the season left. Um, I know everybody's still hoping for snow and cold, and, and we just haven't got it yet. Mm -hmm. So it's been super mild. Like you mentioned, a lot of south winds, um, you know, temperatures in the 40s, really. Um, thinking about that as as you know, somebody that still has a tag in their pocket, you're like, man, that, that doesn't line up for, for big buck movement or maturity or movement bucks anyway. What do you think, um, if you had to sum it up, like what, what was the, the main thing that, that helped you be successful during that late season with the mild temperatures and not really ideal conditions for late season? Yeah, I look at it like I don't get bummed when there's not really cold weather. Um, I just think it extends the attraction of the green food source and doesn't really push them into those beans and corn like it would if we had deep snow. So I looked at it like, well, this is a positive because now my brassica plot is available to the steer. He doesn't have to dig through six, 12 inches of snow. Um, I got six, eight videos of him um, on the reveals where he's actually pulling up turnips, eating the bulbs like on camera. Um, so I got to watch that whole process as I was kind of requesting HD videos throughout this period. So I remember last year, this buck showed up in that same plot, which had a little bit of the prime time on part of it. Um, and he went to that exact same spot where I shot him the year before. That's where he, he obviously remembered, um, where that plot was, but we got deeper snow. Um, he came back a couple of times last year and was digging for those brassicas. Um, but eventually it just got too deep and then that's when he left. So I, I looked at it like, well, he's not gonna leave. <clears throat> deep snow is not gonna push him out. He loves this green source. Um, he doesn't wanna go far. So I felt like he was just gonna stay there until deep snow came. So I, I actually like it. And even, you know, Brian, mm -hmm. Clary over here, on a nice green food source right now. And it's like, yep. you're in the game because there's no deep snow. Like if you had 
two, three feet of deep snow, you'd be, it wouldn't be a good end of your season. I don't think right. you don't have those beans and corn. So yeah. I feel like green is, can be better during all these late season warmups. Well, <clears throat> I've been out, I mean, as much as I can be over the last couple of weeks with everything I got going on. But um, I've seen more deer on these late season sits with these south winds and these 40 degree temps, not in the corn, rather in these easy greens and the different forbs that I got planted and the the rye and oats. All of those green food sources right now are highly nutritious and they're packing on all of those vital proteins and nutrients as they're getting ready for the snow to come. But I mean, I sat last night and I had 25 deer at one time within shooting range of me sitting in a blind and it's it's insane watching them pump out of the woods at the exact same time of the day every day staying for about an hour and then moving off into the timber it's i mean this is the time of the year that you can absolutely pattern deer not necessarily big bucks are coming out that early but i mean does fawn the younger bucks it's just continual community attraction to those plots right now i also think there's advantage in not having snow because you can when there's snow on the ground you can see deer obviously a long ways off but they can see you forever walking Mm in um so i actually don't like deep snow sometimes i I like cold um and deep snow can drive them into those standing grains but sometimes it's hard to get into in out of your stands because you're just this silhouette walking through Mm -hmm. the woods and the fields too so it feels like I don't know. There's, I feel like there's a lot of advantage to not have snow too. Well, the other hard thing about that deep snow, especially when you get cold here too, is like it gets crunchy. Yeah. I mean, you sound like a Mack truck going through yeah. the woods trying to get to your stand or field or whatever it is. Brian, I'm interested to hear. So the spot that you're hunting, um, you have several different food sources mm-hmm. planted in that kind of one area. So, you, yep. you know, you have – Easy greens, you have prime time, you have four seasons, you have rye, you have a lot of these different food sources. Uh, all these deer coming out, what are you seeing them? Are they focusing on one more than the other? Or what does that look like? What are the deer feeding on right now? They're really hitting it. I mean, to be honest, everything right now, but their main focus when they initially come out, they'll go through the rye oats. And then as the evening progresses, gets a little closer to sundown, I see them in the easy greens, which is the clover and chicory. But then I got that all lined with a test plot, so to speak, of a certain forb that stays green throughout the entire winter. Uh, It's a small brunette. And they are absolutely demolishing that mixed with that easy greens. So you see them focusing more on like a, even a perennial clover yep. kind of mix right now over like brassicas. Yeah, and that's not to say they're not hitting the brassicas in that area. It's just they've already been through that area of the plot so heavily. Like we've got a very high deer population in that area, very outnumbered on does. <laughs> but they hit that primetime plot so heavy earlier in the season that now they're just going through and picking scraps. Yeah. So they've moved on to that, the like I said, the Forbes and the more of the late season hardy clovers. Well, the good news for you is that, you know, I know that you have revealed pictures and videos of some pretty good bucks there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they've been there in the daylight, but, you know, in a situation like that, you know, I know you've hunted a couple of times not seeing those bucks. The good news is just a matter of time. Like mm-hmm. that's the best thing that you can ask for late season is you have all these deer, as long as you can get in there and out of there without bumping a bunch of deer all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you have 25 deer coming out to a food plot that those bigger bucks are going to come yeah. there. Like it's just a matter of time. And I know they're coming there at night and some during the day, but like mm-hmm. when you're there, they're going to come there. That is the best feeling in the world, especially this time of year. If you have a lot of deer coming out there, they obviously mm-hmm. like the food source. Those bucks do too. But all those deer, they're just, they're comfort for those bigger bucks that are standing back there, laying back there. Like there's going to be a day, and I don't know if it's, if it even needs to be a drastic change of weather. It's There's just going to be a day where you're there, and that buck's going to show up with 25 of those other deer in the field. Right. And that's the one thing that I have the hardest time with is, 
because I'm looking through the lens on the camera most of the time when all these do does and young bucks are intermingling and capturing the content of what their behaviors are. But the movement, like you've got all of those eyes and they're all within shooting range for the most part. I mean, that plot is three acres, but the the uh, blind is dead center in the middle of it. And I mean, it's 60 yards to any corner of that plot. So you're... <laughs> You're in the middle of it for sure, and you the motions have to be so, so slow and diligent not to bump any of those deer when they're, I mean, five yards to 60 yards away from you. So that's the one thing I really have to pay attention to, being that there's so many deer in there every single night. So here's a question for you strategy-wise, um, just kind of when that time comes. So when you're sitting there, you're in this blind, it's a hard-sided blind, mm -hmm. uh, 360 blind. Yep. What, like, do you have the windows open? Do you have them all shut? What's your strategy there, um, you know, before that kind of moment of the truth? I'll usually have the windows cracked for the camera because 360 blinds, if people aren't familiar with them, pull a bag, raises a window. Um, and there's window, there's 13 windows around you, so you can shoot in all directions. I'll have one or two windows on my upwind side never on my downwind side um, just because usually there are deer behind me too but when the wind is coming in there it just kind of channels it and holds it but then paying attention to the uh, side control with phase I mean I, I haven't been busted once sitting in there and it's been probably five six sits now with these heavy south winds in this late season strategy on that plot and I haven't sat in that plot I mean all year until now so that big buck comes out tonight. How do you get away with, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, from what I've seen, just with some of the, the photos you've shared and some of the strategy we've talked, you know, he could come from a few different places, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, if he shows up, how do you, what's it look like? You know, he's coming out, there's 25 other deer in the field that are within 30 yards. Yeah. Like, how are you getting the camera set up, window open? Like, how's that all going down? Camera gets placed in front of the window. Usually try to focus it in through the window first. Open that window as slowly as possible. And those blinds are, I mean, I'm a fan of them. They're absolutely amazing as far as not, we're not affiliated with 360 at all, but they are completely quiet when you open the windows. So it's more the movement of that window sliding up and every window has the ND filters on it. So they can't see in, but I can see out. When I'm raising that window, it is, I mean, centimeter by centimeter so if he comes or if one of those bucks come through fast it's going to be a tough game to play but if they're out there feeding i feel pretty confident that i'll be able to get that window open set my shot up get the yardage and deliver a good shot right on yeah i mean that's that's the best part about having all those deer there but can yeah. be definitely challenging with all of them around too yeah. you gotta go to shoot well well self-filming too it's <laughs> i mean adds a whole new aspect to it a lot of dynamics there so as I was hunting this buck, they kept going through my mind, you know, I'm ranging because I'm just thinking about um, Clary's situation here where it could be a five to 60 yard encounter. I don't think you're going to shoot 60, but 40. You know. for these, yeah, like the kind of the prime area my shots were for this buck was in that 35, 40 range. And I kept kind of debating like, how low should I aim? How low should mm -hmm. I aim? How much is he going to duck? Yep. It's head up versus head down. Um, I aimed kind of just low lung top heart and he ended up ducking and got a little bit high. I think I still hit long because it was, there was bubbles coming out, but high lung turned into artery and, and then it ended up spining him somehow. I think he rolled, but how low would you aim on a, a 40? You know, and, and this is just something that I do every year. I, I'm aiming low. Like yep. I, I religiously aim low and I think that it's just because you have more room for error low than you do high, mm -hmm. uh, sticker 10. I am low, um, hit him low. And I think my yardage was off a little bit just cause a lot of things going on at that time. And I, that's not an excuse, um, but hit him low. And, uh, and, you know, obviously was able to recover him. Um, I've seen way more deer shot low. You know, there's an artery that runs down along there. Um, you know, hearts down low, you get up high. And if you hit him above those lungs, 
Like there's there's more room above the the lungs and the vitals if you mm. don't spine them. More room for error there than there is low. And I feel like, right, man, just not sh- even shooting them, but like filming them. I would say, I don't know if it's ninety percent, but I bet it's up there that they will drop even if it's a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, e- even if it's one, two inches or it could be eight inches, seen them drop two or, or more. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm aiming even probably lower than most guys. Like I, I will shoot for the bottom of the heart every single time mm-hmm. because I feel like if they don't move, then you're not hit them. But I, I feel like most of the time they're going to move and um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a guy that's religiously aiming low, especially well, late season when they're relaxed, like – they're out there. They're they're almost jumpy a lot of the time. Like, yep. and you know they've been through this whole season. It's cold. They're out there feeding. Like, I I feel like they're just always even on edge a little bit at that point. Um, so I mean that's just my, but, my two cents. Well, I was sitting last night and I had all these deer around me. Every time like one and two year old bucks would come together because they're still sparring at this time of the year. Every time they'd come together, you'd see the entire herd of animals do that quick drop and jolt and it's just any of those quick sudden noises that they hear that aren't them feeding they you're exactly right they're completely on edge right now yeah i was just trying to kind of get brian's mind ready for the shot if it's or or something because i was looking at my footage shot him at 38 range him right before um big light did not come in it's a little bit dark so it's very illuminated in the video I think it's at about the 30 yard mark. So those last eight yards is when you could see him start to drop. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, 30 in shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. You're both faster than mine. Yeah. Um, also shooting the RVX, bit. but yeah. And then maybe 30 to 40 is when they start to really. Mm-hmm. And the does, I kind of went frame for frame and the does next to him too. Were they, I was like, I wonder if all the deer duck like the same yeah. speed at the same time. And they all, I mean, they all, I, I would say even the, the younger does dropped quicker. Um, you know, at the 20, when my arrow was at about 20, 20 to 30, the dog yeah. started to drop. He had his head up and then he started to drop at about, when I was about 30. Oh so. gosh, when I shot that buck over the reflection pond a few years ago, that was 18 yard shot and that thing dropped six inches and in 18 yards. Yeah. Like that arrow, you, when you play it in slow motion, arrow mid flight is that thing dropped six inches and hit it high long, you know? I filmed a deer one time that was in Saskatchewan and now granted we were on the ground in a blind and this deer was shot at 10 yards and he was on pins and needles like he's looking right at us like high alert here Mm -hmm. so not all circumstances are exactly like this one but in 10 yards and we played it frame by frame in slow motion like that arrow was going right for the the boiler maker pretty much so not high not necessarily low but like if you could stick an arrow in the deer, mm-hmm. like that was where it was going. And in t- that deer was 10 yards away. And we never recovered that deer because it, he ducked it and it hit him high right in no man's land. Didn't get him in the spine, just below the spine. But mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what the inch, you know, a drop was, but it was, shoot, eight, 10 inches for sure. That's um, crazy. In 10 yards. Now, again, that deer was super high alert and looking mm-hmm. right at us and a lot of things, but like, the the amount that those deer can move is is crazy and it's just like you jj like <laughs> somehow you know like the entrance on that shot isn't bad mm. but you got a spine and it's just like that's where a lot of guys unless you have video of it kind of make a mistake because they see the arrowhead or they see what they think is the arrowhead mm. and they don't think about what that deer could have been doing how he moved like not only are they dropping are they turning are they rolling like and what those organs do and how that right. it, it's crazy I, i've seen so many crazy things happen with a hit that's why again after you shoot them you have to really try to be patient really try to be smart about how you recover them too because i do think that there's a lot of deer that are lost that could be recovered um if guys just took the extra little bit to to really analyze the situation and vice versa but um i think you know I, I will never say that having to leave a deer is exciting, mm-hmm. but I do, in a weird way, enjoy that part of it because it's like, okay, you didn't just shoot them. Like, they're still part of the hunt after that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really crucial time, especially on a marginal hit, mm-hmm. where you could, 
you know, really sway the recovery one way or the other. Absolutely. And I wonder if that, I mean, with JJ's, how it rolled like that, I mean, that deer essentially had two flat tires on the left side, back leg and front leg. Yeah, maybe he didn't roll. Maybe they just gave out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> when it, when it dropped, it, yeah, right. when he dropped. Yeah, that's a good point. He didn't want it. Yeah, interesting. JJ, I got a question for you. So going back to, to Longhorn a little bit, you said you went in there and, and threw up a Novik stand. I know, I believe that you had another stand that was on that food plot. So what made you go in and say, look, this isn't the right spot. I need to go in and hang another stand to have an opportunity at this buck. Because we're talking, what, the quarter acre food plot? There's a little yeah, it's small, but it's long. So mm-hmm. the first half is actually rye, which I just mow every year and it comes back. And then I'm, I'm going to do in a rotation to where next year I'll flip it. So then that rye portion will be the brassica on the prime time. And then I'll let the other half go to rye or clover, uh, some type of you know, perennial or something. Mm-hmm. So just kind of some flipping, um, trying to keep the soil decent there. Um, I had a stand at the entry point of the plot, kind of where all the timber that goes back in the swamp comes out into the plot, and that's a long plot. Um, and the prime time is on the far end of it, so they got to walk the length of the plot to get to that. It's a ladder stand, so back when I started taking my wife hunting, when she would actually hunt a little bit more, um, we would put up ladder stands. So I'm, I'm honestly not a fan of it. It's so loud and clanky and I don't know, but it's in a good spot. So it's in a good spot right at the entry. Um, but part of the hesitation going to that is like, man, that's a loud stand. I know these deer aren't far. It's super calm. Um, I wanted to kind of get away from the transition and get out more towards the plot to where I could sneak in. They wouldn't see me. Um, I actually kind of took the long way around, went way out past the plot, walked through the plot, and then came back to the stand from the opposite side instead of walking the trail, which is, you know, we call it a, you know, a golf cart trail or something that goes right next to the woods to the stand. That would have been the easy route, like just walk the trail, go up to the stand. But you can see into that timber two, 300 yards. So mm-hmm. if the buck's sitting back in there, whether it's, you know, on a close knob, he's injured, maybe he wants to stay close, or if he's back in the swamp, I just didn't want to bump deer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get further away from the bedding, which means, you know, looking back, if I would have been able to sneak into that ladder stand, without bumping deer, there's does bedded by close usually, I would have been able to film him for 15 minutes at 30 yards and got good footage and smashed him earlier in the night. Um, but where I put the Novix out further, kind of used the walk around to not visually be seen. Um, you know, I didn't get any footage really because he was covered up with pines and some uh, warm season grass and stuff. I couldn't film back that direction. He sat in this end of the plot before he worked into the prime time. So some good, some bad. I guess the good is I got him. Um, bad is not really good footage. So, But the reverse could have been either I got him with good footage or I bumped him all. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a kind of a risk-reward <clears throat> risk calculation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, I guess, yeah, you don't have a chance if you bump him right away. You know, it's true. Now, I know, and he's not going far. You know, we were talking about there's a river that borders this property. I didn't feel like he was gonna, and a lot of the big timber and um, bedding and sanctuaries on the other side of the river. So a lot of deer don't mind crossing a river every day and going back to the other side. But him, I just felt like he wouldn't want to do it with that leg. Sure. It's like, it's definitely in this section on our side. So I know where he's at, know where he's moving through consistently. I don't want to bump him out of there. Yeah, and that's a deeper river too. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, one of the things that, that we talk about a little bit is water during late season. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you can probably see one, if not two, water holes there two. from where you're sitting. Um, are, are those water holes frozen? Or are they open? And <clears throat> are the deer using them? Or And if they're frozen, are they trying to get to them? Well, they're trying pretty hard to get into them. They're frozen right now. Um, I actually saw an eight-pointer last night that was filming – some deer on the other side of me, but looked over my shoulder and eight pointer walking out on top of one of the ponds. And I mean, it, there's no snow on it. So they are absolute glass. And he scared the entire herd for a brief moment by slipping on it and landing on his side on the ice. But they're pawing at it or hoofing at it and trying to get into the edges where the warmth of the earth heats it up and trying to just get those little drops of water around the edge. But it's pretty frozen solid right now. Gotcha. 
Have you ever thought about trying to go in and break some of that ice? It would be awfully loud, but, I mean, no, not really. They've, they've got a natural water source down below if they really need it with the uh, cold trout stream that runs the bottom portion of the property, but more so they're just looking for that sip while they're eating. Um, I don't think that I would want to be pounding on the ice at this time of the year with a couple potential shooters within an earshot on these different bedding cells that kind of surround the plots. How much water do you think these deer are getting or from the, the moisture that the brassicas or, or these greens are holding? And how much, like, do you think that's, how adequate do you think of a, of a water source that is for them now late season? Do they still need other water? How much, like, do you know anything about that? Like, I think that they're getting a good portion of moisture, not necessarily, I mean, because they still, when they're eating, even if it's these, I mean, they're still super green rise and oats right now, and even the clovers are still very green. Um, they're not dried out or anything like that. They're getting good moisture from the plants, but when they're eating, they still want to wash that down with a sip, and that's why those water holes surround that plot. And you see it as they're, they'll be out there feeding for a half hour, and every deer will walk to one of those ponds and just see if there's an opening around the outside. And if they're not, or if there's not, then they'll conti- continue to move around their way. Gotcha. JJ, what piece of advice do you have for Brian? Anything that he's doing or not doing right now that he should be doing um, to try to fill this tag here in the next two weeks? I think it just comes down to time, getting mm-hmm. time in there, but you got limited time with some stuff you got going on with your family. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're showing up. You're in the, he's in the game. I mean, it's warm, it's green. Yep. That's a good thing. You got how many days left? What day is it today? 21st. 21st. 10 days left. 10 days left. Yeah, I probably got two, maybe three more sits the rest of the year with the health health stuff we got going on at home. So, But get out as much as I can and keep grinding. If we don't fill the tag this year, we're going to have some bigger bucks next year. That's right. All you need is one of those sits. Yeah. I mean, I every night, though, I'm seeing two- and three-year-olds that are – I, I just get excited for the 2024 season, seeing all these young potential bucks coming up. And I mean, having the restraint to not shoot some of them is, you, you get that itch. You got that tag burning a hole in your pocket, but uh, I'm just as fine looking through the lens at them. JJ, what's kind of your focus right now? So you're tagged out in Wisconsin. You still got a buck tag here in Minnesota. You got 10 days left. What's What's your thought process on the whole thing? Yeah, um, I was going to hunt this buck late because the season was open through January in uh, Wisconsin, but Minnesota closes here at the end of the month. So um, now that I'm tagged out on the, the later season with the Wisconsin um, in Minnesota, I still don't have a shooter. Um, I mean, I got we got bigger bucks score-wise than this, than Longhorn, but, you know, at this point of the year, it's like they're pretty close to making it through. <laughs> hate to shoot uh, something that could be really something special next year, so... That's kind of been my mindset the past month. It's like there's just a lot of deer that are. I'm excited for next year on a lot of deer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and then and then your mind's like, well, what should we do different? You know, I keep thinking, I want to plant some of this here. I want to do this here. I want to do this here. I keep thinking about your spot. Like, man, we got to get some standing corn up there. Yeah. Get a little bit more screening. You know, wrap those plots, yep. break them up. Yeah, I'm excited to. And kind of, well, this is really the first year that we've had that big plot rolling and not really all scales but we've had food throughout the entire plot this year and there's so much that while well, i sit in that 360 just envisioning on what i want to do next year with different food sources and like he was saying screening around the area and even more water holes <clears throat> throughout the property so jj i got a question for you but i was just sitting here thinking like this is the year of the the term long i guess like we got long john chris shy you got long horn brian you're having a long season (laughs) (laughs) your society long year um but so my question to you is so let's look at the white tails from scratch property looking at it now experiencing it the whole season 
Do you think that there is anything that you could have done differently to change the outcome of your season on the White Tails from Scratch Farm? I can't pick out anything. Um, we kept it low key. We had all the food. We got all the bedding. Um, it just came down to a lot of bucks that were on the edge of shooter and not shooter. We didn't really want to shoot anything, to be honest. Uh, we were waiting on some bigger ones to show up late season, but then you look at this late season, it's not one that's going to move deer from one property to the next unless they're injured. Um, typically, the snow gets deep. You know, that's where our property shines because of the standing beans, standing corn. Like we prepare for late season, but we don't really have that this year. Um, I wouldn't really do anything different. I just think uh, it's one of those years, a lot of bucks got shot. I just think it's one of those, I feel like every, I mean, in the short history of the property, there's been two years where a lot of bucks for whatever reason, the weather or the rut times up with the gun season or what it, what, what it is, but a lot of bucks get shot um, just because of how things line up. And that's just kind of what happened this year. A bunch of, you know, three, four year olds got shot Still some decent ones left, but not that upper age class. Even the one that I was hoping would make it for late season um, got shot during the rut too, about a mile off. So it's kind of one of those things. That's where uh, having options is good. Like you get different, mm -hmm. we got some permission properties to hunt, um, just have different options because it's not always a big boy walking around on every property. No doubt. The one thing that I want to do next year or convince JJ to do next year on the Whitetails from Scratch property is get some bigger ponds. Yeah. Now that I've implemented some that yeah. hold like, I mean, something that you don't have to refill every couple of weeks. Yeah, that's definitely on the list. I, I mean, those ones that we put in this year, around like 2,500 gallons a piece. And when you bring in a couple tanks and fill them at the beginning of the year and the natural rainfall takes care of it the rest of the way, like there's nothing better, especially early season. Like prior to the two, three weeks before the rut really kicks in, Every deer is hitting that water hole every single night. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to ask you the same question. So you got a tag in your pocket, hopefully not a tag in your pocket here in 10 days. Yeah, hopefully not but tomorrow. Looking back at it, is there anything that you would do differently or you think that you could have done differently that would have changed the outcome of where you sit right now? You know, with the year that my family has been through with the health struggles that we've had at home with our kids like we i don't think i could have really invested any more time into hunting than i did i'm glad that i got out the times that i did but um i think that as far as the strategy wise it would be sticking to certain stands when i have a solid pattern built yeah, I was bouncing around a lot and I I was trying to anticipate where this deer would be moving rather than going to the spot that he was consistently going and hunting the outskirts of that area. But that that's one thing that I would have changed is those sits that I got to sit during the heat of the rut, sticking with what you guys were telling me here at the shop rather than going with my gut. Yeah, there was that one week where there was that one week, was yeah, consistent on that water hole. Yeah, literally every single day at the exact same time every day. But I hunted around it, hoping not. Wind changes and start to get in. That's true, and it was a lot of east winds that week in the the bedding cell that I know that most deer go to on that side of the property was not ideal for access right there. But then I did sit there a couple nights, and I ended up seeing him. Uh, two of the three or four sits that I had in that stand, but definitely, I mean, 70, 80 yards away, hot on does. You know, I think it's funny, and I, I want to touch on that real quick because I think that happens a lot, and there's obviously a lot of variables that, that go into it, and I'm not saying don't go with your gut because I'm a huge believer in going with your gut, and I don't think that you made the wrong move anytime. But I do think this happens, and I see it with a lot of different people because I get to hunt with a lot of different people and mm -hmm. see different strategies all over. Is including myself, we get this mindset of like, oh man, like didn't get that exact picture. Like the deer could dare like four, day, four days in a row, and maybe the fifth day he doesn't do what you think he's going to do. And then you come up with this intense game plan. It's like, oh, well, he must be doing this. And you, mm -hmm. you anticipate what you think he's going to do. And yep. you play these strategies out a million ways. 
in your mind. And I think sometimes we mess up, not mess up, but I think, and I'm saying this because I know I do this, like, and I've seen other people do it. Sometimes you give these deer too much credit, like, and I don't mean credit, but I mean, you, you overanalyze what they're doing. Like, I think sometimes you have to go with the most basic, raw, recent intel that you have mm-hmm. and hunt that way. <clears throat> like yeah. not try to make up, because it's easy to do and it's fun to do. And as a creative person, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, he he must be doing this. And I understand this because he's he must be going here. And it's like, sometimes I think you have to not overcomplicate it, simplify it mm-hmm. and say, look, here's what the deer is doing. Mm-hmm. Here's where I need to go sit and hunt, mm-hmm. you know, rather than trying to make up this insane anticipation game plan. So I'm not saying that that's a, something that you should do every time, but I do think that sometimes we have a tendency to overanalyze and chase what we think a deer is going to do yeah. instead of just stepping back and saying, hey, look, this is what the deer is doing. Mm-hmm. Here's why he's doing it. I'm going to go sit here, right? Yeah. Yeah, and when I overanalyze things, it's always coming down to access and wind. How am I going to get into that stand without bumping him off the property and not seeing him again? Yeah, even this buck here, you know, I got a little bit. Of, I saw him three times in person, didn't get a picture for a while there. So it's like, I didn't know how he was getting to this spot. But you asked me earlier why that Novix was there. It's because that's where he just kept showing up. Like, mm-hmm. How did you get there? I don't know. I'm trying to guess that. Like, which, where was he bedded? How did he get there? How am I going to hunt? But at the end of the day, maybe just sit where that, where we see him. That's yeah. how I got him. So I'm just... I zigzagged him up probably a little bit too much. I hunted the beans, then he was at the greens, and then I went over here, and he went over there, and mm-hmm. he didn't show up. Oh, that sounds Finally, like... It's like, I'm just going to keep sitting in this primetime spot yeah. until he shows up. And, that sounds like Lumpke's yeah. season on the big guy, too, here in Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, sitting here in the shop when we were looking at that every morning, get him on the trail camera here, he's spinning around this bowl, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the craziest thing about that deer was like, that whole middle of that property at that point was all standing corn. And he was going to be on the north at night and the south that night and east. And like he was walking through a hundred acres. He's on either side of a uh, hundred acres of standing corn. And I'm like, in, in just a few hours, I'm like, how is he getting around that? Because we had cameras on the edges of it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, because you said it, you're like, well, why don't you just pick an edge and set? he's got to walk down the edge at some point. But it was like, we had cameras there. We weren't getting them on cameras. Is he walking through a hundred <laughs> acres of corn to get from the north to the south? Can't be. But it was mind-boggling. Like I don't know how he was getting back and forth. Still don't know. And sneaky. But you know, I want a, a late-season tactic here. You know, Andrew had a buck uh, last year, a couple of years ago. It was the same kind of thing. Like he's like, man, where's this deer coming from? And he's bouncing around. He's hunting these different spots. But he'd see him out in the middle of this. And it was cut beans. We had snow. It was cold. Mm-hmm. But see him in the same spot all the time. And finally, he said, screw it. I'm going to stop figuring out, try, bouncing around. I'm just going to go put a blind in the middle of this wide open field, try to cover it up with white and snow and whatever else, mm-hmm. and hay bales and get in there. And that's when he had a pretty close encounter with that deer. As he went to, this is that spot that that deer was showing up. It was less of like, okay, trying to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. I know he's. this is the end point. So go sit in that endpoint and ended up not getting them, but you know had a pretty close encounter with them there. Yeah. I think. So, well, let's throw the question back at Lemke over here. What would you do different this year? <laughs> yeah, right. A couple hundred eighties. Lot change, honestly. <laughs> in a dream world, you'd have someone filming you when you shot him, so you didn't have to see yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. Well, Connor filmed Connor filming that one in Iowa. Um, In a dream world, I, I would like to have sticker 10 of my Minnesota bucks still walking around. That's what I would change. I, I, okay, that's, that's uh, let, me, let, me, let me step back. That's a bold that's statement. <laughs> I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't not shoot him. And I'm super fortunate and super blessed to have shot him. And he would have been shot if you didn't shoot him. And he would have been shot more than likely. People say that, but he would have. Like, like he yeah, was getting, he there was enough people hunting him. The corn came off the right time. With our gun seasons the way they were, how regular I knew he was last year, he would have gotten shot. Yeah. I guess it's more of a wish than anything. Like I would have just, I, I would love to see what that deer did going, even having another year. Um, and I and I, I liked waking up every day going, where's that deer mm-hmm. on trail camera or the strategy part of it. Like 
I missed that the day after that I shot I yeah. shot him, you know. So um as far as what I would change, <laughs> um I don't know. I, I, I can't think of anything that I would really really change about it. Um other than that. It was kind of one of those years. There's a pretty much every other year I can say one thing this I would change, whether it was, you know, the way I set up, accessed, hunted. You could say that about every year. This year, it yeah. was just like kind of all the stars lined, and, and uh, you know, it was it was pretty good. It was fun watching you strategize that every morning. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it was fun. So, um, anything else you want to talk about late season wise? Where's where do we transition after this? You know, it's crazy to sit here and think about like we're counting down the last days of the season, and uh, you know, it's like where do we go from here? Like, do we start thinking about shed hunting? Do we start thinking about, you know, some shoots and does for sure? Yeah. yeah. Brian needs to, Claire needs to shoot some does. We're going to shoot some yeah. does. How do you, relations are high. Yeah. Yep. A week for that. But. How do you know when you need to shoot does? <laughs> when you see 25 does. In the yeah. Box. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'm seeing boxes just young ones. Uh, I would say that, I mean, I need to shoot does. And I encourage people that have high doe populations to shoot does just to even out that buck to doe ratio. But I mean, I bet on my property, it's anywhere between 10 to 15 to 1 on doe to buck ratio. Shoot some does. Yeah. I guess that, that leads us down another path of, we, we said we were going to talk about it a little bit, this yep. second rut yep. or second extra cycle. What's everybody's thoughts, JJ? I guess I'll start with you. Like, what do you think about, you know, second rod, 20 day, 28 days or so after the first one, you know, into December, whether it's young does coming in for the first time or or mature does recycling if they didn't get bred. Have you seen much of that? And what's your thought on it? I don't analyze too much about second rut, but I know a lot of people have been asking me about second rut this year. And I don't know. <clears throat> I always look at it like when the weather gets real cold, their mindsets change and sometimes that's yeah. November and the bucks are just on food hard. This year's warm. It's a really strange year. Um, so bucks are still hitting scrapes. You see them even yesterday, I got a, a pretty cool picture on the reveal where this buck has his nose down and he's basically dogging a doe through mm-hmm. the plot. Yeah, I filmed one doing one. It's like, is any of that night. just weather? I know it's not, the estrus cycle does not, it's not based on weather, but that um, kind of those actions or that mindset, you know, do the bucks still think like, oh, it's nice and warm out. It's still kind of like the rut. I'm going to keep chasing, even though maybe, is there any of that where you just see more of it because it's warm? Um, more signs of it? I don't really know. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I've looked at this before and I've read a lot of articles on it, but from what I've, what I've learned from different like deer farms and stuff like that of people that actually breed the animals is, deer will come into a second estrus cycle if they don't get bred and you have to kind of fold the page over to wild deer in nature if you're in a head like my spot for instance where it's really heavy doe population if there's not enough bucks to breed all of those does that doe still wants to get bred and when she comes back into that second estrus cycle to have that opportunity to do it again, that's maybe where these bucks are still dogging, trying to find those does that didn't get bred the first time around. You know, I, I think that I've always looked at the second rut as like, you know, you believe in it, right? Like you want to believe in Santa Claus. And I'm not yeah. saying it's, I, yep. but it's like, it's an exciting thing what? if you still get a tag, <laughs> a tag in your pocket because... It's it's like, you know, oh maybe second rut's going to come in. Maybe that's a, that's a glimpse of hope. Um, I do think it happens. I don't know if that's the right I, way to yeah, call it the, though as a second term. rut. I, th- yeah, I think and it's. Yeah. I think and that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like we don't see it the same way as we see the first rut. The first right. rut is because there's there's an abundance of does coming in. All yeah. of the bucks are looking. Mm-hmm. I think the second estrus cycle i guess if you will Mm -hmm. is so small Mm -hmm. right there's so many less deer doing it um that yeah there are there are instances if you're around one that you you see a little flurry of it Mm -hmm. but to call it a second rod is hard because you don't see this abundance of it happening right and i think 
I, I've never been fortunate enough to really see it too much. I mean, I've seen maybe little flurries of it or little inklings of it where you could say, hey, maybe. Um, but I think it's, you know, and when that happens, I think it's here and gone pretty quick. It's not a thing that lasts a couple weeks. It's like, oh, flurry gone. That's yeah. just personal experience. And the other thing, I think it's very, it's less common than you think, I think. Because, for instance, when you're looking at your trail cameras in August, how many how many fawns do you see that still have spots? Very few, Little. but you will sometimes see them. And those, I'm guessing, are the does from the previous year that came into that ester cycle a month, month and a half later. Yeah. I mean, I've looked at that, and I've seen, I think it was two years ago that I had a fawn with spots after the first snowfall in October in Minnesota here. And I was like, this is completely strange, and that deer is not going to make the winter because it is so tiny still. Yeah. yeah, maybe we don't see it as much because it's so cold, condensed, so if those fawns are born too late, then, yeah, they might not make the winter. Mm-hmm. Mother Nature kind of squeezes the rut a little bit tighter. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we're just talking about mainly experience from up here in the, the upper Midwest. Yeah, the upper too. Midwest. You know? It might be completely different down in, you know, Louisiana or Alabama. Yeah, I mean, their ruts are definitely different times, and they mm-hmm. they can run a long time. I, we said it, talked about it, I think, last podcast or a couple before, but Joe Miles, he's like, man, I our rut lasts forever. Like, he starts hunting rut tactics, I think, like, end of <laughs> September and hunts them all the way through February. <laughs> so, um, but I think you're right. Mother Nature has a lot to do with that. Yeah, well, time constraint on keeping a viable, healthy farm out, no doubt. Well... We're going to wrap this thing up. Brian's got to get to the tree stand. Tag Phil yeah. tonight. Call your shot. I hope so. I got to make a call home, but look, looking positive that I'll be able to get out tonight, so I'm excited. Well, good luck. Hopefully we can have another podcast here uh, next week with another buck sitting here different than Longhorn. But yeah. um, wrapping this one up, JJ, congratulations. Beautiful deer. Yeah, uh, coming in clutch towards the end here. Uh, we had faith in you. But, guys, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, if you're still out there grinding, good luck. Um, send us those photos. Make sure uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you subscribe. Download the free Deer Society app. Lots of great content on there, instructionals, hunt breakdowns, um, lots of good stuff. And, and have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. And uh, looking forward to the new year. So thanks for tuning in. All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman and Big Frig.